Hello, welcome to the Countryside Voices podcast with CPRE, the Countryside Charity. I'm Jamie Wyver. In this episode, we're going to look at rights, our rights, to access the English countryside. Why is this important? Why in England do we only have the right to roam over a tiny percentage of land? And what needs to happen next? Joining me today are campaigner and author of Who Owns England, Guy Shrubsoul. Hello. And campaigner for CPRE, the countryside charity, Emma Marrington. Hiya. So first big question, just to set the scene really, is why is it important that we all have access to the countryside? Emma, can I come to you first? Yeah, of course. Well, the, the countryside is there for all of us. And I'm sure many of the listeners, I know myself, having access to the countryside, to green spaces, especially over the last year, has been so important for health and well-being, just to get out and be at one with nature. So it's having it's having that access and having that freedom as well. I think that's really key um, for our health and our well-being. It's so important. Guy, what do you think? Why do you think it's so important? Well, I absolutely agree with with everything that Emma's just said. And I think I'd just add that um, it's really important that we all have a connection to nature and reconnect to nature. Um, particularly, I think, you know, it's something that's in, integral to, I think, everyone's health and well-being. Um, uh, but it's also something I think is, is increasingly important that we try to foster a reconnection to nature in a time of the climate emergency and the biodiversity crisis. And actually, um, if you look at some of the scientific studies that have been done around um, people's behaviour and environmental behaviours, actually more the more that people have contact with, you know, with nature, with, with the, the outdoor world, um, you know, kind of unsurprisingly, the more that people care for it and actually start to look after it and start to get interested in some of these bigger questions about sustainability. So I think it's actually really important for our own health and well-being as, as, as people, as individuals, to be able to get outdoors more and explore the countryside. But I think it's also a crucial part of solving the climate and nature crises. So it's absolutely crucial. Now, where are we now? What, what are our existing rights of way in the countryside? What are we currently allowed to do uh, in terms of accessing the country? And, and what does that actually mean, Guy? Yes, yeah, sure. So, um, well, I think one one thing that we need to, to sort of understand um, as a kind of context for all of this is that access to land has always been bound up with the ownership of land. In England, particularly, which is the area I know most about, but it's also the case uh, in, in other parts of the UK, that land ownership is incredibly concentrated and unequal. It's, it's concentrated in the hands of a very small number of people. In fact, in England, by my best estimates, 1% of the population own half of all the land. Um, and uh, often that's tied into reasons of, you know, lengthy the lengthy history of um, aristocratic families, who some of whom uh, can can trace their ownership of that land back as far as the Norman Conquest in 1066. And one of the things that comes with ownership of land, or has come with the ownership of land in in uh, in England, has been the right to exclude other people. And this is where we get the law of trespass from. It's a civil law currently. It means that a landowner can sue you. Um, if they want to, if you've trespassed you know, uh, onto their land. Um, but in more recent you know, centuries, decades, um, we've seen an extension of public rights to access to the countryside. Um, so you know, over, the, over the years, there's been um, sort of establishment and, and codifying of, of public rights of way. So we do have 
um, a very good public footpath um, and bridleway network in England and Wales. But um, it's, it's also been a struggle um, of, over many decades to get a greater right to roam, uh, not just over the footpaths um, that we have access to, but over a kind of more, uh, more wide, wider part of the countryside. Um, and this goes back to the late 19th century, um, with people being you know, crowded into cities and wanting to have access to the wider countryside for fresh air and, and outdoor healthy exercise, and goes through things like the Kinder Scout Trespass in 1932, through to the creation of national parks, and then more, most recently to the creation of what was called the Countryside and Rights of Way Act um, in the year 2000. Uh, the Labour government introduced it back then, uh, and it gave us a right to roam. But it only gave us a right to roam only over a very small part of, of England, in fact, only about 8% of the country. Um, and that covers things like mountains, moorland, heathland, and downland. And those are some wonderful, wonderful landscapes, some of our most beautiful um, upland areas particularly, but also those areas are often very far from where most people live. And so I think what we've got with the Countryside and Rights of Way Act and with Right to Roam is unfinished business. It's um, a very partial victory that was won, very important one, but it's one that has uh, yet to be finished. And I, I would personally like to see it extended to many more um, parts of the, of the English countryside. You mentioned aristocratic families earlier. And um, for a moment, if we put ourselves in the shoes of uh, landowners who, are, who own and manage these very large tracts of land, if you were actually uh, Lord Guy of Shrubsole and you had a huge estate, <laughs> what would the steps be that you take to make sure that people had access? Yes, sure. Well, I think I, I think I would like to think that I would do the right thing, which uh, as Lord of this manor, uh, imaginary huge area of land, I would um, voluntarily dedicate it as open access land under the Crow Act. That means that people would have a right to roam over it. And the thing is, is that actually that is possible. Private landowners are perfectly entitled and perfectly able um, currently to dedicate um, any area of land that they wish to um, uh, as, as land over which um, the public have a right to roam. The problem is, is that almost no landowners do this voluntarily. Um, there are some exceptions, some wonderful charities like the Woodland Trust, for example, who dedicate um, private woodlands to being open access woodlands. But for the most part, landowners are not doing this. And so this is, this is I think, cuts to some of the problems here, which is though you have, for example, the Country Land and Business Association, the CLA, will often say, well, of course, we want more public access to the countryside, but it must be done uh, voluntarily with the landowner's permission. And the problem is, is that no one really is extending that right to roam voluntarily. So that, that's why uh, myself and um, the author Nick Hayes, a um, great friend of mine, who I think might be appearing on a future on one of your podcasts, um, set up last year a campaign uh, to extend right to roam to more of the countryside to change the law around this so that we have the public has a greater right of access to other more parts of the countryside really interesting i'm going to throw in a, an extra little question here because it occurred to me as you were as you were talking about that that there is this um perception that obviously we we want this access but getting inside the head of the landowner is quite difficult is are there reasons that are put forward why access isn't given or do they just just simply not do it is, is there an explanation perhaps I mean, I think it's a good question. I think you'd, you'd need to ask more um, larger landowners. Um, but I mean, certainly it's not it's not a universal view amongst landowners. You know, I, I, there was a really good piece um, in The Telegraph last year by a landowner, Ben Goldsmith, who's 
also um, quite a noted environmentalist and fan of rewilding, in which he wrote about how um, as a landowner and uh, as a you know, self-described uh, conservative, he um, thought that there, that there should be a different approach to how uh, landowners view their land in, in England. And so to, to kind of get away from this peculiarly English notion, I think, of that land ownership brings with it certain um, quite exclusive rights, you know, the, the, the right to exclude others from land, or um, indeed, in, in some cases, the, the right to, to kind of trash land and to, to destroy nature on land. You know, there is there is this long standing um, right to be able to essentially do that um, uh, if you if you have private property. And I think actually, um, if you look at how landowners in some other countries um, view their properties, um, if you look to, say, Scandinavia, for example, there are still large landowners, um, but they have a very different way of looking at the land. They see it as something that they hold in trust on behalf of the public at large and for future generations and on behalf of, you know, they have to steward it in a way that looks after nature. And I think we need to get towards a better conception of land and what ownership means and that it's more of a sort of stewardship of land on behalf of others. So I hope that more and more landowners start to see things that way in the future. But if not, obviously, I also think we should be changing the law. Thank you. Now, Emma, why do you think we need a, a greater right to roam? Or what would it look like for you? Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, at CPRE, we obviously welcome the debate on the right to roam. And many years ago, before I came to CPRE, I worked at the Ramblers, actually on the Countryside and Rights of Way Act. I was monitoring appeals, so landowners who didn't want their land to be mapped as open access. So they're appealing to the planning inspectorate saying, no, I don't want to have this. It could be a, a public inquiry, a public hearing about uh, the debate. And actually attended one up in Hawes in the, um, the Yorkshire Dales National Park. And, you know, it was wonderful getting up there, seeing the amazing landscape and the openness of it. But I think it is probably, you know, everyone's different, of course. But it is perhaps the perception that if more people come to the countryside, will that mean more litter? Will that mean more disturbance? What could that mean for the land, managing the land? So that's one reflection. Um, but I do think that, you know, having more of a right to roam access it's definitely an, an, of interest to CPRE in the debate about it um one other thing the, obviously the countryside um sorry the coastal path that's another really interesting thing and the spreading room that you have within that that coastal path the definition of that coastal path as well thank you Emma um so certainly um really good point about people trashing the countryside from both of you there so I'm just kind of thinking about this because this has been a conversation that's been happening a lot on social media over lockdown. Um, and, and as soon as lockdown is lifted or our, our kind of rights are lifted, uh, rights as they are are lifted, people do go out and you do get this kind of feedback on social media that people are perhaps not used to being in certain parts of the countryside, perhaps are not treating it as, as they might. Um, and that perhaps is a concern that people have. But that's not quite what right to roam means, is it? Right to roam doesn't mean you can go to places and trash them. It doesn't mean you can trample across someone's back garden. So I think maybe we need to make it really kind of clear exactly what it is that we're asking for. Oh, absolutely. A, a right to roam is in no way a, a right to trample. And um, I mean, I, I get absolutely irate whenever I see litter in the countryside. I, you know, try and pick it up if I've got a bag with me to kind of put it in and take it and put it in, into a litter bin. But I mean, I think this is this this cuts to the, the, the nub of it that we have to create a better culture of uh, connectedness to nature in this country. And um, 
you know, some would say that you do that through keeping people out of the countryside uh, and excluding them. And I would suggest that actually that's the wrong way to think about it, that actually it's better to reacquaint people with the countryside, with nature, from which many of us have been cut off for a very long time. Um, you know, this this is a long history that goes back to urbanisation, to the enclosures of the commons, and and a long history of being alienated and 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 cut off from nature. And you know, of course, yes, what you know, all the sort of stuff that we've seen over the last year, and, and we may well see again this summer, when you know, there's sort of inappropriate behaviour in the countryside, there's you know, litter left, there's fly camping, all those sorts of things, totally, totally unacceptable. But it's also, I think, about uh, it's not just about sort of wringing our hands and, and, and reducing this to a problem of somehow individual morality. It's about how as a society are we creating the social cues, the um, norms that says uh, actually the countryside is a place of work and a place of, of nature and of, of other species and we have to respect it. And I just one last thing on this point is I would say that the government have not been playing their part in this um, over the last decade or more. Uh, because we found out last year um, from Natural England that the government have only been spending a whole a, some, a grand total of £2,000 a year promoting the countryside code over the last decade. And that's an absolutely pitifully small amount of money to be spending on something that should be really, really important. Um, and they've recently relaunched the countryside code, which is great. And there is a, a slightly bigger budget, a 50 grand uh, annual budget now apparently to promote it which is which is a step up but again very very small fry compared to any major serious public uh, advertising public communications campaign and the government really need to step up on this because politicians I don't think should be complaining about the public not knowing about um, things like you know closing gates after you've gone through them or keeping your dog on a lead if they aren't really properly doing their duty to promote the countryside code. Thank you, Guy. And, and perhaps we'll come at the end to um, perhaps a couple of things that people can do, listeners can do to, to help move this forward. Um, I wanted to ask, though, first about the criminalisation of trespass. So there are debates going on at the moment around this topic. Why shouldn't walking on someone else's land be criminalised? And why is this a problem for access to the countryside? That's a question for either of you, whoever wants to chip in first. Well, I mean, trespass has been a civil offence for probably a thousand years. Um, and, you know, that seems to have served landowners fine up until now. Um, I think, you know, ultimately, uh, myself, Nick Hayes and others would, would love to see um, trespass in some ways rolled back uh, so that we have a greater right to roam and trespass doesn't reign supreme over about 92% of the land surface of England as it currently does. Um, but I think what the government is doing, unfortunately, at the moment, seems to be going in the opposite direction. And, you know, in the Conservatives' manifesto ahead of the 2019 general election, um, they said very boldly that they would criminalise intentional trespass. And at the time, it wasn't entirely clear what that meant. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty about it. More recently, of course, the government have now published their police uh, powers bill, um, essentially their new policing bill, which sets out in part four of the bill the... Um, the, their, their proposals to criminalise trespass with intent to reside. And so this is a slightly narrower definition, but still a very, very concerning one. And it certainly will have a huge impact on uh, the Gypsy, Roma and Traveller community uh, and, and their way of life, which is obviously uh, inherently nomadic. Um, and it will impact potentially upon um, people who are homeless and who are uh, forced to, to sleep rough in their vehicles. Um, it will potentially impact almost, well, it will almost certainly impact upon protest camps 
So we've seen, you know, over the last decade, um, a very successful campaign to, um, to, to, to get to stop fracking. A lot of that has involved protest camps. Um, the provisions in the government's new bill would essentially criminalise protest camps from the moment that they were set up. Um, and uh, we fear also that because the definition, uh, the definitions used in the government's bill around uh, vehicle and around reside um, are so broad that even cyclists who go wild camping could be caught by this new law. And I think lastly, this really, um, what's really worrying about this is that it's essentially handing yet more powers to the police and indeed more um, scope to landowners to kind of be, be be more aggressive essentially. So if they, you know, if a landowner were to see someone on the land, um, possibly doing a spot of surreptitious wild camping, minding their own business, sure, it's a civil offence currently. Um, it's not technically within the remit of the law, but a lot of it happens and, it, and, and people and it's tolerated. Um, but what this could well do is um, embolden and empower landowners to call the police on people who are doing these sorts of things uh, and and put people off from um, innocently going into the countryside and doing these sorts of things. Um, and I don't think that's a very good signal to be sending. Uh, and certainly it's absolutely appalling um, for, for where it would, will impact upon um, some of the most marginalised people in our society, um, such as uh, gypsy Roman travellers and homeless people. Thank you, Guy. Now, Emma, um, of course, Guy mentioned fracking there and CPRE was quite involved in the anti-fracking campaign and, and helped to, to bring that, that banner about. Um, why does CPRE sit on the rest of this? I think one of the biggest concerns with, with this bill is the devil isn't going to be in the detail, isn't it, in the interpretation of it. And so could messaging get out about the countryside not being accessible not being there for people? Could it be that people are concerned about going for a walk in case they're at risk of caught, you know, having a, a, a criminal offence, of trespassing inadvertently? And you know, I think that's real concern because it doesn't sit well with other government policies, for example, from, from DEFRA, where they're talking about having more access, more connection with people to nature, and then on the other hand, you've got another government policy which potentially will be putting up barriers to, to anybody accessing the countryside. And I think that's even more important with our, our work at CPRE for you know, the countryside for everybody is, you know, we're working with various people, various grassroots organisations, individuals to listen to people about the barriers that people experience in the countryside and for that to be informing what we're doing as CPRE and working collaboratively with them to think of um, solutions because there are barriers to access already, um, be them physical, be them social. And so it's, it's a huge concern. Thank you, Emma. And back to Guy now, what can listeners who are concerned about what, you, what we've discussed in this episode, what can listeners do to help with this, this campaign, with this movement? Yes, well, there's, there's two things really, I think, um, immediately. One is the fact that um, there's going to be a debate in Parliament coming up um, on the 19th of April. Now, last year, um, I set up a petition on the Parliament website um, to say don't criminalise trespass and to, to oppose the measures that the government had been proposing. Um, and I was really uh, was pleasantly surprised that it, the petition got um, about 134,000 signatories, meaning that it um, was due a debate in Parliament. Um, uh, they did take a while to schedule a debate and it got 
uh, delayed a couple of times, um, but now it's finally been rescheduled for uh, Monday the 19th of April in the afternoon. And um, we really want to get um, MPs along to voice people's concerns about the government's proposals. And in order to do so, um, we're really encouraging people to write to their MPs <laughs> very quickly now, obviously, uh, MPs need to um, register to debate, uh, to speak at the debate by Friday the 16th of April. So there's a very short, immediate ask there, a plea to people to, to help out with that. Um, the second thing is, is obviously, if you'd like to get um, involved in um, our campaign to increase Right to Roam uh, more broadly, then please do sign up to our mailing list. It's just on righttoroam.org.uk. Um, we're obviously hoping as, as lockdown eases, as uh, things open up this summer, that we might actually be able to do some outdoor um, activities, some some maybe some rambles, possibly even some trespasses, and maybe some some gentle protests, and and to try and start to build this greater movement uh, for for a greater right to roam. And just to sort of add, because I'm not sure I sort of said it really earlier, what we're really asking for um, with the right to roam campaign is 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 what we think is a very sensible extension to the Countryside and Rights of Way Act. We want to see a right to roam, not just on 8% of England, but on places like woods and rivers and greenbelt land that's um, closer to where most people live. And so it's really sort of bringing crow to people's doorsteps. It's bringing the right to roam closer to where people live and, and reacquainting people, reconnecting people with, with nature and with the countryside. Um, so hopefully, um, as I said, as things, as things open up again, people get out to enjoy the countryside a bit more. Um, hopefully you'll join us when in this campaign to extend right to Rome. You know, also, I mean, what, one thing I was going to say, reflecting on, we did some work um, as part of the Glover review of national parks and areas found outstanding national beauty, and that was a couple of years ago. And 64% of the nation are in close proximity to a national park or AOMB, but over a third are not. And so it is that whole you know, having access to urban types of designation. I mean, as, as uh, Guy was saying, for example, greenbelt land, woodland, riversides, having that wider access will benefit so many people as well. Thank you. And thank you both very much for taking part in this episode. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. Now, you can stay up to date with news from CPRE, the Countryside Charity. We're on Twitter and Instagram at CPRE, Facebook at CPRE, the Countryside Charity. And check out our website, cpre.org.uk, where you can sign up to our newsletter. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.